Greetings, Rays community. Brent coming in live from the back of my RV in Bozeman, Montana. Some of you might know that my family and I have been embarking upon a homeschooling journey, but that is not going to stop us from continuing to crank out the Rays episodes uh, in the midst of COVID, back to school, uh, an election season. There's a lot going on, and we're going to continue to try to elevate the voices in this sector, which is why I am so excited about today's episode. As you know, we have tried showcasing advancement professionals and the career paths of people ranging from uh, individual contributors to leaders at some of the largest organizations in the country. And today I am privileged to not only include one of our colleagues from the advancement sector, Astria Smith from SMU, but also Peyton Keith, 09 graduate and a volunteer and Joe Lu, who is a sophomore at SMU, who just finished a music history class seven minutes ago before jumping on this podcast. So I'm going to quickly ask each of them to introduce themselves, uh, and we're going to take you down a recap of one of the most inspiring stories that I've come across in 2020. So Astria, I'll kick it to you. Welcome to the show. Love it. Thank you so much, Brent, and welcome, everyone. My name is Astria Smith. I am Senior Executive Director for Annual Giving and Alumni Relations at SMU. I've been there since 2007 and have just truly enjoyed my time. But like Brent mentioned, these are the stories that remind us why we do what we do. So I'm so excited to be sharing this and being a part of this, of this podcast today. Wonderful. Peyton, I know you didn't expect that in September you'd be on a podcast in the advancement sector, but that's kind of the way life goes sometimes. So give us a little bit of, of your background and then we'll dive into why you're here today. Sure, thank you so much, Brent. Thank you for having me. Hey, Joe, hey, Astria. Uh, my name is Peyton Keith. I am a 2009 grad from SMU. Um, I currently live outside of Port Arthur, Texas, and I'm a public affairs associate. Um, I don't know what else to to share with you at this moment. I have a wife and three kids and some dogs that you might hear scurrying around behind me. So apologies in advance for that. It's all good. Uh, welcome, Peyton. Okay, Joe, the star of the show. Um, I want you to just walk us through a little bit of who you are and your journey to SMU. And then we're going to dive into a day in May when uh, you really started to experience what higher ed philanthropy can do at an individual level. So just tell me a little bit about your background, your upbringing, when you knew you wanted to go to SMU and what that meant to you and your family. Yeah, so my name is Joe Lu. I am a sophomore at Southern Methodist University studying political science and public policy with minors in economics, history, and law and legal reasoning. And maybe by the end of tonight, maybe we'll tack on another major for the fun of it, possibly human rights. Um, so way too many things, just long story short. Um, I grew up in Coppell, Texas, which is a solid 30 minutes from SMU, depending on the traffic. Um, I went to New Tech High School, and I'm going to be honest, my road to SMU was not a straightaway. It was much of a very curvy road that at one point was not even a road. Um, I originally, when I was looking into colleges, a lot of the time I was looking at UT, um, just because a lot of that, um, you know, family aspect came in and a lot of my family members had gone to UT. And so that was the main school that I was looking towards. 
And I wasn't a huge fan of SMU at the beginning just because I didn't know what it was, um, what it represented, and I just kind of bought into the stereotypes of what SMU was. You know, it's a privileged university that doesn't really have space for a lot of people that don't fit the mold at this university, and that's what I kind of bought into initially. And I came here for some leadership conventions um, during high school, and I got to go into like some tours. And once I saw the campus, of course, it's gorgeous. So the first thing I noticed was the fountains and the trees. And I went, wow, this campus is beautiful. And once I learned about different programs like the human rights program, the Ember Human Rights Program, um, I immediately fell in love and I said, this is the place for me. So I applied to SMU um, at the end of 2018 and got in and I was super, super excited. And then I decided that this was the place for me to be. So you show up in the fall of 2019 for your first year and like anybody who's adjusting to college it's a big it's a big adjustment um walk me through kind of the first semester and just what your initial impressions were what it was like now um were, are you a first generation college student or i mean so there's a lot that you just have to adjust to period and then specifically, um, you know, at SMU. And so what was that like? What was some of the, the highlights and lowlights maybe, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, of course. Um, so, of course, you were talking about how it's hard for everyone coming to college. But for me, yes, I am a first-gen college student. Neither of my parents went to college. Um, my mom didn't even really graduate from high school. Um, my parents are both immigrants, and they actually met in Irving, Texas, as, like, waiters. And then they had me... Um, but, you know, coming from, I like kind of always grew up in a lower income background. I grew up pretty young in a decent, you know, tax bracket. Um, but I guess just as I got older, things got harder for my family. And I came into SMU already having to, you know, pay for everything myself. Um, I filed to come to college on my own for my FAFSA. Uh, things are already really, really tough. Um, so coming to SMU was already hard enough just the general transition, but then, oh, you have to tack on the price tag and, you know, how am I going to pay for school out of my own pocket? So having to pay up until mid-November was my first semester experience here at SMU. But at the same time, that price tag was 100% worth it because I got involved with a, a lot of really great organizations um, like Student Senate here at SMU. And that was kind of the thing that got me through this semester, like all the organizations and the incredible um, you know, just like the community that we have on this campus is really incredible. And I was just super lucky to find my place really early on and to be able to be comfortable here and, you know, just make friends and go through the motions of adjusting to college yeah. just as it was. And it, from what I've read about your bio, you didn't waste any time by picking up majors and minors and campus leadership positions and all of that other stuff. So clearly, you were able to hit a groove um, relatively quickly, but then we roll into second semester and all of a sudden um, there's sort of this, this slow roll toward COVID spring break. And all of a sudden uh, it, yeah, I'm guessing it starts to feel like the rugs being pulled out from underneath you having quickly uh, not only sort of adjusted to college, but, found your place with leadership, with friends. What was it like as you started to progress through February, March, and 
kind of the whispers of, of COVID um, started to get louder? I mean, it was really, really interesting um, to put it in neutral terms. Um, you know, I came back to campus on January and, you know, being Chinese myself, I heard a lot of these stories about COVID-19 um, from my family. I have family that live in mainland China and also in Hong Kong. So for me, I was just hearing these little whispers through my parents. Oh, you know, this is going on and this is, this is getting bad. And, you know, then living here in the United States, I hear students and faculty around me just going, oh, it's just like another flu. It's fine. We don't have anything to worry about. And for me, since I had family that was living it firsthand, I was terrified. And, and everyone around me was like, oh, that's just such an overreaction. It's fine. Um, but then I remember specifically one night we were in chamber for Senate and um, a senator had a senator's podium and she talked about COVID-19 and the implications that it would have at SMU and if this was something we needed to worry about. And at the time she brought it up kind of as like a ha-ha kind of moment, you know, this isn't going to be anything bad. And I was just sitting there and I was like, just wait, just wait. It's coming for us and we need to be careful. So, you know, juggling everything of going into my second semester was already pretty rough, but then having to throw in the entire thing of, oh, I have to watch out for my family that lives overseas, but then at the same time, keep up with everything happening here was a lot. Um, and then we got into, you know, late February and things were getting worse. And I remember also, this is kind of a thing that just like happened to me in class one day. Um, I was at the health center early on in the day and I had a face mask on. And then I walked to my largest class of the day, which was an economics class as an Asian person with the face mask on, as they're talking about a pandemic that's coming from China and people just stared at me and I felt super isolated. And that was kind of like the beginning of, okay, this is a reality that's starting to set in. People here are finally listening and understanding that this pandemic is coming, but there's a very negative connotation that comes with it, especially for the Asian people on this campus. So things were really rough. And then of course there was a whole process of, oh, time to get off campus for spring break. And then a week later we find out, oh, you're not coming back. <laughs> so when you left for spring break, Okay, so first of all, it's interesting that you have the family connections and that you are already extra aware that there was a bigger risk here than maybe was being publicly perceived at that time. When you left for spring break, did you expect you'd come back? I personally didn't. A lot but of people. What about your classmates? Like, was there kind of this recognition of like, hey, it might be see ya in a while? Or were most people just expecting that, that there would be a seamless kind of transition post spring break? Most people thought that, you know, we would um, have the two week quarantine period right after spring break. So we would be off campus for a total of three weeks and then that we would come back. But mm -hmm. after talking to my parents, we made the collective decision that I would like pack up most of my dorm and take it back with me um, to go home for spring break. And then we found out that we weren't coming back. And I was like, well, that's easier for me, less things to move later on. But a lot of people did not expect it. So when you say go home, what do you mean? Uh, for me, I don't technically have a permanent home base. Um, what kind of happened is at the end of my senior year, um, 
my parents and I were all living in a one bedroom apartment. Um, my parents are divorced, but my dad had moved back in with us because we decided that, you know, it's my last year that I'm officially at home with both my parents for a longer amount of time. And we wanted to spend more time together as a family before I really, you know, walked out of the nest and said goodbye. So um, we were living in an apartment. And then after I got out of high school, my parents and I all split up directions. So I was here at SMU. My mom was living in a house in Roanoke and she was like taking care of a home for someone. And my dad was already living in a motel at the time. And then my mom left the house in January. So then my parents were living together in a motel again. And by the time it was time for me to get off of spring break, um, they were living in a one bedroom motel in Irving and then I joined them. So it was three people and two dogs in one motel room. And then obviously with all of my extra stuff coming from school, there wasn't enough space. So we relocated to another motel and then had to move rooms in the motel. And this was all in the span of about four days. So it was me moving out of SMU, me moving into a new motel, then another motel, and then a new room in the motel. So it's not a home base. It's just a place to lay low for the moment. You strike me as a really optimistic person. And, you know, in spite of all of the challenges that you've you've dealt with and that we've just started to dive into. But what was sort of your mental state during that period? I mean, were you able to stay optimistic? I mean, uh, you've got friends, so I'm sure are going back to beautiful homes and, you know, going on spring breaks probably and, and you know, living somewhat carefree. You know, meanwhile, you're you're in a, you know, objectively very difficult situation. I mean, how hard was it just sort of going through that, but also now having friends and, you know, connections that were in, in such a different place. I mean, it was really, really hard. Um, I already struggle with just like dealing with mental illness on a regular basis. Um, but then, you know, being put in a position where I come from SMU and things are great. I don't have to worry about a meal on the table. I can just walk two minutes to go grab whatever I want any time of day. Um, and I have a great room and I have my own space. And this is such a step up from what I've had over you know, the past 15 years. But then I go to a place that's the lowest low that I've ever been. And, you know, the first week it wasn't bad. It was nice being with my family and being in close quarters. But then as time goes on, you know, you start clashing with the people around you, even though you love them, there's chaos, you like don't get any privacy. And then on top of that, it's like, that's normal home stuff, regardless of where you live or who you're around. But then you put that on top of a motel in an area where it's over-policed and you're constantly hearing sirens and, and fights and, you know, it's just chaos. And it, it was not great. And at the time that was when my parents were starting to lose their jobs. And then school was obviously picking back up after spring break. It was just really, really hard. And every day felt like waking up to a new nightmare. I'd go to bed and that'd be my daydream. And then I'd wake up and it'd be my new nightmare. And it was just over and over again. And it was exhausting. And it felt like it wouldn't end. Well, luckily it did, which is why we're all here today. Um... And it seems like an inflection point was when somehow a reporter heard about your story and was inspired to document it. How did that happen? 
in the Dallas News? Um, so actually the author of that piece, um, she actually goes to SMU. And originally she was writing a piece about a collective SMU experience on how COVID-19 had affected students um, being displaced from school. And so she was messaging a bunch of group chats of organizations at SMU and she was like, hi, if you want to talk about your experience, I'd love to hear about it. And so we had a Zoom call and we were talking about everything and I told her about how, um, you know, I'd moved multiple times in the span of a couple of days and how things were going. And um, she said that it was something that no other person had talked about in her other interviews. And eventually um, she talked to her editor and they turned it into a profile. So on May 12th at 6 a.m., Michelle uh, Oslam, the author, published a piece in the Dallas News that, that was titled, Homeless SMU Students Struggles to Continue College as Coronavirus Upends Stability. So I'm gonna hit pause there on your story, Joe, and I'm gonna shift the conversation to Peyton because you're somewhere else in Texas, having your morning coffee. I mean, you set the scene, but somehow this story stands out to you. And just walk me through how your day went. Sure, I, um, I typically wake up and Twitter is my, uh, my medium for news these days, as I think it is for a lot of millennials. And um, I just scroll through it kind of uh, haphazardly, just kind of thumbing through it. And, uh, but I always keep tabs on SMU. I like to know what's happening with my alma mater and what's happening with Dallas. Cause I still have a lot of friends and family who live in the area. And um, that headline just pops out at you. Um, and as, as Joe mentioned, it's um, it's pretty stark contrast to the perception of SMU. And so it grabs you immediately. And uh, the narrative followed suit. I think that the, when you read the story, you're just compelled the, the human interest piece is just so moving and inspirational and you reference Joe's optimism. And that was one of the first things that popped out to me in reading that article. Um, I also think it mentions that Joe, you were uh, looking into three majors at the, at the time. And my eyes got big when I, when I saw that, because I thought you were crazy at the time, given the amount of writing that you would have to do for those, <laughs> for those courses. But um I, uh, I, I felt compelled um, after reading that story to, to try and uh, I think I replied to the story online. Uh, I tweeted at Dallas Morning News. I just broadly asked if there was any sort of benefit for Joe out there. Um, and then I couldn't find anything after a quick Google search. And uh, really the beauty of a platform like GoFundMe is that it's quick, it's easy, and it's efficient, and anyone can start it up. And uh, and so I was able to to register and and start this fundraiser for for Joe without her knowledge at the time. Um, and meanwhile, I was trying to get in touch with Michelle, the reporter, and um, and see if we could generate some sort of assistance. And I had no um, at the time, I really had no idea what we could do. Um, but uh, I knew that I had a very tight-knit social circle at SMU. Um, the beauty of the school is that they turn out a lot of kids who are civic-minded and very enterprising. And uh, some of my closest friends um, 
were some of the first people I met at SMU and we keep in contact routinely. And uh, I, I knew I could send him a text. And from that text, you can just kind of grow the circle and um, went down Facebook lists and LinkedIn. And I tried to, to send a, a message to as many people that I was close with who I thought would respond well to, to a story. Um, and it kind of just really started to, to pick up um, momentum from there. Peyton, can I just ask though, because you're not the only SMU millennial that checks Twitter in the morning and keeps tabs on things that are going on and other SMU alumni, I'm sure, read the Dallas news on a, on a very consistent basis. Did you have, I mean, the story's published on May 12th. I'm looking at the GoFundMe. It was created on May 12th. It's not like you spent a week strategizing or brainstorming or thinking about it. You just did it. Have you had experience with fundraising in the past or what was it where you just, anybody could have done this. You did it. And, and I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but I am really curious, like, what else led to you deciding to actually take that first step where let's be honest, most people read the story. Maybe they felt some emotional connection. Maybe they felt some sympathy, but they didn't necessarily take that first step. Do you mind commenting? I, I was a political science major at SMU as well. And that led to a, an early career in campaign politics and state governance. And so I had some background in it. Um, actually, the first internship that I had while at SMU was with a political fundraiser. So I, I knew the, um, some of the strategies and I still use them to this day as a public affairs associate. And I work in the private sector. Um, and I, I wouldn't say I, I routinely use those strategies, but they're, they're familiar to me. I, I know um, what's going to, from a messaging standpoint, what would, would I, I didn't need to do any messaging around this. I, um, just because Joe's story is, just so captivating and um, it takes a lot of groundwork and that's, it's really about grassroots. That's what's grassroots organizing and um, leaning on relationships um, that you've made. And so I think my expertise in that area really helped me. Um, it, it was easy for me to kind of get this going and uh, identify the right people to speak to. And um, through the course of that um, spoke with Astria and made contact with the young alumni group. Um, and many of my friends who, who have been involved in that over the years. And um, I, it, I think there's a certain, um, I think SMU does an exceptional job of maintaining relationships with their, uh, their alums after graduation. And I think alums do a great job of keeping in touch with each other as well. And so you have these uh, connections, lifelong connections that, that you can lean on and you can tap into. And this was certainly the time to do that. So you hit go, you send out your text, you start scanning Facebook, you start making the case. That had to be a pretty exhilarating day when you go from, should I list this thing to listing it? And all of a sudden, I imagine your phone's blowing up and then Joe's phone probably starts blowing up and Astria's phone starts blowing up. And like, what was it, you know, when did it just feel like immediately this struck a chord and it just took off or... Um, was there a moment when you, when you realized, wow, we're really going to blow through the initial, I believe, $10,000 goal, um, and, and there's a lot of room to run here? I think the, I'll say this, social media has a lot of potential, whether that's good or bad is really 
up to the wind. Um, you can use it for a tremendous amount of good. And I think that uh, in this, in this instance, it, it, you can see the, the full force of what it can do. Um, you can reach out to people all over the world, all over the country. Um, that's a, initially how you found us uh, or this story. And um, I think that um, at this time, there's just so much uncertainty in, in the news and lots of question marks in everybody's lives. And a lot of people feeling hopeless or helpless. Uh, and sometimes you just need a win. And this is something that was a lot of people could affect change and they could do it easily and quickly. And um, it couldn't have been done for a better person. I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know Joe over the several months that we've, you know, we were thrown into this at random. And, uh, and you have people who kind of, they're having it, they need, they need a bright spot or they need a win and they'll step up and it could be a contribution that's, $10. It could be just a, a referral or just sending out the link or sharing it. Uh, but it's, it's being part of something bigger than yourself that makes a, a noticeable difference, especially in a time like this pandemic when uh, there's so many things just completely out of our control. Yeah. Well said. And, and I'd love to kick it to Astria because I think to set a little bit of context as I was doing my research, I didn't realize just how historic the fiscal year was that you were in the midst of from a fundraising perspective you had been a part of uh securing the large the largest gifts in smu history uh, transformational investments being made uh in in many different areas of campus and i know one of your your kind of constant roles when you're working in fundraising is uh, trying to keep tabs on what's going on in the news, right? I'm sure your SMU must be in the news just about every day in some capacity. So is it good news? Is it critical news? Is it, you know, people extra happy? Or is somebody upset with us? And so just if you can go back to May 12th, did you know that this story was going to be published? Um, and and kind of what was it like to to be on your side of things where, you know, on one hand, there's a, a philanthropic objective here that Peyton has kicked off. But on the, another, on the other hand, it was really done independent of the institution, which sometimes can ruffle feathers or all of a sudden it's like, wait, what's happening? Those alumni are going off and doing things on their own again. What, why are we using GoFundMe? I mean, just kind of walk me through May 12th from your vantage point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I will say that's one of the reasons that I love working for SMU because, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later, because, you know, our, our concept is we are trying to think big and do good. And that means in whatever method um, that we can do that. Right. And so I, I remember that day because I, I subscribed to the paper too. And I remember looking at the article and thinking, we, we definitely have to do something. And I remember getting into my office and already I had a message from our vice president, um, Brad Cheeves, and he had um, heard from Peyton. And so, I mean, there was already something happening. And again, the beauty of SMU, the beauty of SMU alumni is their compassion and their connectivity. And so that just shown that, um, that day in particular, because when alum are, um, you know, a, a part of something, it just, it, the grassroots effort just continue to grow. And 
And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, yes, you, you hit the nail on the head that sometimes, you know, there are instances where you do have your own fundraising priorities and those are important to advance. But I think the reality is, you know, anytime we have a student that's struggling, anytime we have um, a challenge that's facing a member of our alumni community or our student community, we have to rise to that occasion. And so this provided a great opportunity, even though it was outside of um, what was happening philanthropically for the university as a whole. Um, and so we wanted to support it in however way we could. So we were posting it on all of our social media um, options and um, just, you know, doing again, everything that we could to help promote and help, uh, help, um, help Joe in the, in the effort. So it was, it was a great initiative in and of itself. And it created some other great traction as well. So, and Joe can probably speak more to that as well, um, a little bit more too, but you know, again, just the ability for us to highlight kind of the real SMU and the fact that there are students here on campus, actually hundreds of students that are struggling. They're not the quote unquote typical SMU student that a lot of our constituent base and even others, you know, across the nation think of when they think of an SMU student. And so being able to show that we do have students who definitely rely on outside support and are facing really difficult challenges, you know, that that's important um, that, that we share that too. And as a result, we were able to also raise additional funds for our student emergency fund that helps students like Joe um, to, to do the little things. You know, we provided hundreds of grants even just this past spring and summer for everything like rent assistance to providing you know wi-fi hotspots for students that needed some assistance with boosting their signal so that they could continue their education so you know again there's a ton of opportunities tons of ways to help and it doesn't necessarily have to come through an official smu channel to make a difference and i think that was the beauty of this grassroots effort and that you know peyton was able to to see a need and connect his passion to the philanthropy and it it resulted in, in something beautiful so can i ask you ask you though as a practitioner and, and a leader in the annual giving space and you've been at smu since 2007 one of the great areas of tension that we hear about all the time is restricted versus unrestricted giving. And without getting into too many of the details and boring Peyton and Joe too much, I do think this is an interesting example because this is like the ultimate restricted giving, right? It's like, how do I help one person right now in a very, very tangible way? Yet I feel like so many annual giving shops are under this constant pressure of we need unrestricted funds. We need to keep the lights on. We need to pay for these, these uh, broad use um, investments that don't have the kind of impact and the kind of story that somebody like Peyton and all of those people that he engaged through his, his volunteer work can connect with the way that they connect with Joe's story. And so how do you think about, on one hand, saying this is such an amazing example of why unrestricted problem solving, sorry, restricted giving and, and solving specific problems can really inspire people to act who otherwise might not be compelled. But on the other hand, we still need unrestricted dollars that aren't always quite as um, emotional, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's definitely a, a give and take there with the restricted versus unrestricted funds. And, you know, one of the things that I'll say is for the unrestricted funds in particular, the way to become successful in advocating for those is to find the story that shows the impact, right? And so I think, again, this is why this was a beautiful merger in a restricted initiative that showed specific impact and then being able to say, on a broader scale, just like Joe, there are hundreds of students who have applied for support as well. So how can we take that passion that we have to support one student and apply it on an unrestricted level so that SMU does have the flexibility for when the next student calls and says, hey, I'm in this situation, how are we able to respond as quickly as Peyton was able to for that one student You know, that might not have had the Dallas Morning News article? And so again, I think it's just matching that, matching the, the impact in whatever way that you can, whether it's a personal story, whether it's through statistics, whether it's through you know, appropriate stewardship to that unrestricted cause um, so that we can continue to you know, in- encourage more people to, to give to that. Can I ask Peyton a comment on that? Because I'm sure, right, since 2009 to present, it sounds like you've been involved, you've been tied in, you've, you've probably been a supporter. Uh, either all the time or on again, off again. But there is a difference between, you know, hey, guys, will you give to our reunion campaign versus, hey, guys, we got to help Joe read this story and please get on board. And like, given your experience with fundraising, maybe in the political realm or even um, just your historic engagement with SMU, what was it like having a problem that could be solved versus maybe some of the more general messaging that we all kind of get as part of our annual funds. I I think we moved uh, quickly to establish open lines of communication. Um, I was, I actually mentioned that I had emailed uh, Brad Cheeves. I emailed a few other folks as well. And uh, some of my close friends um, are still involved with the young alumni associations. And uh, so I had, I had sent them texts and emails asking them to help put me in touch with the appropriate contacts to make sure that I wasn't stepping on any toes. I, I, I know that every, every SM person at SMU and the, the administration was reading that story and they were brainstorming uh, to determine how to, how to, to help the situation. And um, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't treading on anything there as well. Um, so there was a, a, an early move to partner on this. And I know it's not a, a conventional means of, raising money for an institution. Uh, there are pluses and minuses to GoFundMe. Um, and uh, what we tried to do, and a lot of this uh, credit goes to Joe as well, is she wanted to use GoFundMe as a platform to promote and spread word about other SMU uh, programs. There's the Emergency Student Fund, and probably my favorite one that she mentioned was the, the food pantry that SMU has on campus. And that wasn't there when I was a student but it is an incredibly helpful and impactful program. And uh, so we were able to drive interest uh, to those programs as well um, and not just use this as a, a monetary benefit to, uh, to Joe, but kind of help those or spread word to, to those in need uh, within the SMU community that, that there is assistance. There are programs and resources available to you, and this is how you can uh, connect with them. All right, Joe. So, Let's bring it back to you. You um, you mentioned that 
it sort of organically emerged that you built the relationship with the reporter. The story is published on May 12th. And my understanding is that you were working on uh, a calculus final at the moment this story hits in the motel room. I don't know if your parents were there that day, but you're basically, you're just trying to get through another day, trying to gut it out to get through the end of this ridiculous semester. Then what happens? Yeah, so I was in a calc exam. Uh, I was like a third through and both my parents, we had like a little separator. So I was in the middle. My dad was on one side and my mom was on the other. And I said, don't walk out of your doors. I need to sit here for three hours. Let me do this. I need to focus because I'm really bad at math and I need all the help I could possibly get from my brain. Um, and then my computer just starts blowing up and it just sounds like just bells nonstop, like if someone was to keep ringing a doorbell every two seconds, and I'm trying to concentrate doing my calc exam, then I hear this buzzing from my phone, I see it on my computer, and I'm just like, what is going on? Um, and then I realized, oh, the article came out today. That's happening. Um, but I didn't expect anything to happen, honestly. Um, when this entire thing happened and I was talking to Michelle, really, I was just like, I don't really think anyone's going to read this. And if they do, like, I, I'm grateful that they're willing to learn about the experience of, um, you know, a non-typical SMU student. But then everything started happening. I, I got tweets. Um, I was getting messages from old teachers, friends that I haven't talked to in years. Um, and it was just total chaos. It wasn't at all what I, what I had expected. Even some of my professors at SMU that I had just finished their finals for would email me and they're like, um, so I just saw this. I knew about some of it, but I didn't realize to what extent this was. And, and you know, they were like, I'm going to share this with my friends and family and, and let people know. And, you know, things just kind of snowballed from there. And it was just it was insane. And then I saw the entire thing about Peyton creating um, the GoFundMe because a bunch of people were texting me. They were like, do you even know what's going on? You have a, a, a GoFundMe that's almost at $9,000. And I was like, excuse me, wait, what? And they were like, yeah, did you not know? And I was like, no. And so they were just asking me about um, like the validity of it. And people were just like bombarding me. And then eventually- Meanwhile, you're like, I just got to finish my calculus test. Yeah, yeah, I was just like getting emails and texts and I was just like can I just like try and figure out derivatives of this please I don't know how to do it but we're gonna try and get through it anyways um so it was just total chaos so at the same time at, at some moment you're able to collect your thoughts get through the test and start to realize whoa like there's really a, a movement here what does this mean for me and at what point did you either get to speak with Peyton or, or get to know Astria or Brad or the SMU team versus just kind of going on with your life trying to get through finals in a motel room? I mean, um, so I'm pretty sure the calculus final was my last final. So as soon as I was done with it, I was hit with the gravity of the situation and I, it kind of felt like I was just like emotionally just like punched in the face because like this is a total 180. Um, you know, I was 
going through life before under the radar, just dealing with it. And then all of a sudden it's put out into the limelight. Everyone's trying to help me target the situation and I don't know what to do. I've never had this kind of exposure. I've never had like this amount of people talk to me. I don't think most people get this kind of thing. It's really rare that this kind of thing happens. Um, And so it was just really crazy to deal with. And then I think it was later in the day, like not too long, I think it was like two or three hours after my final had ended that Peyton and I got in contact and we just talked about this. And I was, I literally was speechless when I started talking to him because I was like, I didn't expect anyone to do anything. Honestly, I didn't expect anyone to read this and this is insane. And I was just watching the numbers on the GoFundMe slowly go up and it was just, it was astonishing. It was crazy. Um, and then a couple days had passed and then Astrid had reached out to me in an email um, and we got to do <clears throat> a group call with some people in the office of the Department of External Affairs. And I got to meet some really great people and it was just awesome. Um, I got to meet some really amazing SMU faculty, staff and alumni through this entire story. And it was just, it was a great experience and it's still giving back to me today. Hayden, can I ask what it was like when you actually spoke with Joe? Because the reality is you you started this without ever meeting her, right? Just on the story alone. And I'm sure after meeting her, you feel how I feel right now, which is this is an amazing person. And it had to make you even more excited about, um, you know, stepping up and, and, and doubling down. But what was it like after you were able to, to directly connect? And did you anticipate that? And and then just walk us through kind of the experience of ultimately closing out the GoFundMe campaign. If there are any like technicalities or things that others should be aware of to the extent they've been um, thinking about similar types of, uh, of, of efforts. I mean, just what was it like um, as you really built a connection with Joe directly, continued to see momentum, uh, and then ultimately brought this to a successful conclusion? I, I have... Talking with Joe, uh, I think we connected that afternoon. Uh, Michelle had given me her cell phone number and I called her and uh, she's exactly as she was on paper. Uh, she was, she's awesome. She's inspiring, optimistic, um, incredibly humble and the kind of person you wanna, you wanna work with and be friends with and, and wanna see succeed. And um, I think that it, because it caught her by surprise, I, I think that one of the important um, factors at that time was to kind of, uh, I guess the, I, I would say protect her um, because this is, she shared, it takes a lot of courage to, to share her, the story that she did. Um, it's, it's incredibly um, personal and sensitive. And um, also there are people, GoFundMe is a, a pretty open platform and there are people who are going to reach out and try and take advantage of a situation. Um, but also it was important to establish credibility, um, and show that this, this GoFundMe account was being used for, uh, its intended purpose of, of helping Joe and with SMU an institution like that, they have automatic credibility. I have credibility with, with my, my friends and my social circles, but in order for this to, to continue, we had to, to establish the credibility of the GoFundMe beyond that and into the greater Dallas community, um, and I think we were pretty successful in doing that. Joe ultimately uh, filmed the video and we posted it to the GoFundMe to, to lend to that credibility. 
um, and to demonstrate that she was involved and she, she was aware of it. Um, and so that was, I mean, from there we, we started texting daily and, uh, the momentum carried really for two days and it, we saw it tick past 10,000 and 15,000 and 20,000 and 25,000. And ultimately we raised more than 28,000, but the bulk of that was in, um, the early days, uh, I mean, the first 48 hours really. And, uh, these weren't large donors. Uh, I think the average donation comes out to about $75. And then beyond that was um, the community's response. And, uh, you know, she had job offers. <laughs> there are people reaching out to saying, hey, can, can we give you a job? Can we bring you food? What do you, do you need anything else? And um, that's part of the, what we need to, you know, you have to help protect her. Because there was one generous donor who brought her food at her uh, at her residence, which we don't really want to have happen. But, um, so we had to send out a reminder, but, um, it, it needs to be managed effectively. And, uh, it's really just to make sure that, um, all of the assistance goes to, to Joe and it's done in the, the right way, the appropriate way. Joe, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, you referenced sort of the weight of the world being lift off, lifted off your shoulders. Um, what is your reality like today and, and how, how are you, you doing and um, what is the impact? Because, you know, on one hand, and Astri, I'll probably bring this to you a little bit as well. Like when you think about $28,000 being raised, that wouldn't even be considered a major gift at most universities, right? We have all of these thresholds and limits and it's just part of the, the maturation of the industry. But on the other hand, we've got, uh, let me just double check exactly, $28,170 uh, at last count. And I'm sure that feels like a very major gift to you, Joe. Um, so how has it helped? I mean, how have you felt the impact at the same time wanting to be very respectful of your privacy? So please don't you know, feel compelled to share anything you're not really comfortable sharing. Yeah, of course. Um, so... I, at the time of COVID and before this article had come out, was pretty sure I would not be coming back to SMU. There was a very high chance of me leaving the university, um, which honestly is the reality of most first-gen students of color at SMU, regardless of whether it's a year of a pandemic or not. Um, it just happens that, you know, this university is great, but the price tag is hefty and we have to make a decision. Um, and, you know, my entire savings account before this article was about $3,500, which I had saved up from working on campus, two jobs my first semester, and then a second job at the college access program on East Campus at SMU, and that was all I had left. And my parents lost their jobs, I was paying rent, that was gone. So I had nothing, like literally no money to my name. And then this article comes out, I am getting money to my bank account and next thing you know, I have $28,000 and I'm sitting there just like, how did I go from essentially a negative bank account at this point to this? Um, and I was like, the first thing I was thinking was I, I can have, you know, I can provide food for my family. There's going to be fresh food in the fridge. That's great. This is exciting. This is, this is not something we've had in a while. You know, we were surviving off of, you know, canned goods and, some old bread for a couple of weeks there, which was of course not the end of the world. It could be 100% worse, um, but it wasn't ideal. And then, you know, 
first thing was getting food to my family, making sure we were okay. And then next thing was, I can go back to school. Like I can actually do it. I, I can fulfill my dream of graduating from SMU with hopefully not just one bachelor's degree, you know, um, which was the best feeling in the world. And then came time to pay for school, did it, and it felt great. Um, you know, that's a stark contrast from the beginning of my freshman year, paying up until mid-November and still freaking out about it by the time finals rolled around. But this time I just got to set it down and say, I'm done. I'm, I'm here. I've paid my part and I'll be here until at least December, which is the best feeling in the world. So, you know, I'm living a great life right now. I'm back in my dorm that I had last year, which is fantastic. I'm getting meals. I'm getting fed. Um, granted, we love college weight so much, but, you know, I'd rather have meals all the time and ready and available to me than what it was before. But it's just, it's been such a great feeling to be able to come back and not be terrified of the next week, the next month, the next semester. I am set at least until the end of next semester and I'll be working the entire time too. So hopefully we'll still be here for the long haul. I have a feeling you will be. Um, Astria, can I just ask, you've, you've been at SMU a long time. You've been involved with many different kinds of giving and, and many different kinds of impact, but any lessons or reflections around this, this experience in particular that stand out for you uh, and maybe even have changed the way you've thought about your work or, or maybe you've been able to share with your peers. Uh, could be too early to say, but I'm, but I'm curious if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it, there have been other instances um, over my, my tenure at SMU. I remember Hurricane Harvey was another one. Um, you know, it was just, there was devastation at levels that we just, we didn't understand, you know, fully until even months, years afterwards. Um, and then and now Mustangs just continue to answer that call. And so I think for me, um, out of this, it just showed a completely different level of that, right? So in addition to the, the support that we were able to provide Joe, um, that alum, you know, stepped up to do we actually even created a brand new fund, um, the Presidential Fund for Immediate Needs, really probably about two weeks or so after that story came out because our admissions counselors, our student affairs staff were recognizing, wow, this, this is going to be greater than what we have ever thought possible. Um, the need is just going to be so much. And so that Presidential Fund for Immediate Needs to date has just inspired literally thousands of alumni and friends and community leaders to give to that immediate need, like Joe's mentioning, so that the returning students don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to be able to pay tuition to continue their Mustang journey. Um, same thing with the admitted students at the time. They were excited, they were ready to become Mustangs, and then when COVID hit, they realized, hey, my financial situation has completely changed, and I, I'm not going to be able to do this without some additional support. So you know, with those thousands of donors, we were able to raise $2.1 million in commitments to take care of students, not just this year, but for the rest of their time while they are at SMU. And it, it does, it, it, it makes you feel not only energized, but validated in the work that you do as, as staff in the development office, right? Because this is why we do what we do. It is amazing to have great capital campaigns and comprehensive campaigns where you're at a billion and plus, 
But even with those campaigns, the, the reality is the impact, these, what we are doing is impacting students, right? They're impacting faculty, they're impacting real people every day. And so this was just another testament to me to, to be excited and, and energized by particularly the alumni that we have at SMU. I mean, they seriously step up and, and Peyton's an amazing example of that, that they answer the call whenever we ask. So it's, it's been great. I really appreciate that perspective. And I think it also is probably appropriate to now share that it sounds like Joe's involvement with fundraising is going to continue. Is that right? I am hopeful that that is the case. Joe is actually a student worker within the annual giving alumni relations department here at SMU. Um, she mentioned that I had the opportunity to meet her not long after um, the story hit and after, you know, we were able to connect by phone. Um, and so she started, you know, learning a little bit more about what this world of development really was and, and how there were more alum, just like Peyton, that were out there that cared about the student experience. And so as a student worker here, she's kind of getting her feet wet a little bit more into all things alumni relations. So we're, we're excited to have her on board now as a student worker and then hopefully some other great things in the future for her too. But I don't know, with quadruple majors, you know, besides the limit, you know, you might not want to be in our, our little office here. So at least maybe you'll be a connected alum like Peyton is. <laughs> we'll take that. All right. Well, we're going to be conscious of time here. We need to wrap it up. Um, Peyton, any uh, closing thoughts? And then I'll kick it to Joe for the last word. I, I just want to thank you, Brent, for um, allowing this, this opportunity. I never expected it. Um, uh, there are so many great people that have been involved in this and uh, it's made my year. Um, it's, it's been very meaningful uh, for me and I'm grateful that I graduated from an institution that recognizes the importance of its students. And um, it was a transformative place for me. And it, I continue just to be uh, incredibly proud of SMU. And I'm, I'm so proud of Joe as well. I think that she's phenomenal. I think that she's got, big things ahead of her. And I'm so excited that um, I, I'm a little worried that you're taking on that much schoolwork, but I'm, I'm excited for you. And I have, <laughs> I have no doubt that you'll be able to, to do it. Well, Peyton, there are certainly no shortage of negative headlines in the news uh, this year. And uh, this was a negative headline that you turned into a positive headline. So thank you for just stepping up and showing what, um, what you know the, the hardest step is the first step and uh it's just amazing to see on such a human level uh the impact that you were able to have and and you should be really really proud i'm sure your family and friends are super proud of you and and joe i guess in conclusion i just have to comment your maturity and optimism and um presence is just remarkable in light of you know i don't care no qualifications period but on top of everything that you've been navigating, um, you you really are an inspiration. And if there's anything I or our team can do to help, um, we're, we're excited to get to know you as well. But do you have any closing thoughts today? Yeah, I mean, obviously this podcast is an incredible opportunity. Thank you for having all of us on here. Um, the article was already a shock to me, but this is another level of awesome. So thank you for that opportunity. I think I think you need a TV show, to be honest. So you know, we're, we're going to get you there. 
Well, I might be starting a podcast in my fellowship, so maybe I'll be following in your footsteps and I can ask you for some help and your expertise. Um, 100% if our marketing team could help you, um, you know, if we can run this thing from the back of an RV, I have no doubt you're going to be just fine. Yeah. But um, yeah, once again, biggest thank you to Peyton. He was, you know, one of the catalysts of the biggest change of my life. Of course, I've lived a short one um, thus far, but you know, this is something I've never experienced before. Um, and the level of kindness that I've received out of the SMU community, the Dallas community, and, you know, from broader Texas has been incredible. Um, I'm going to plug the shop at SMU, which is the food pantry, and also the student emergency fund and the presidential fund for immediate needs. Those are ongoing and they always need support. And if anyone listening is willing to help at SMU or just in general in their local communities, I 100% urge you to do so. My story is a story that was lucky enough to be told, but there are hundreds, thousands of people that are just like me and they need help and support too. And in this time of a pandemic, in this time of hardship and uncertainty, we all need to be there for each other. And the, the most important thing right now is community. And I think that supporting each other you know, whether it be financially, emotionally, or anything like that, it's so incredibly impactful and it changed my life. And there's no way that it's not gonna change someone else's for the better. So if you are so inclined to do so, I ask that you extend your kindness to those around you and just be kind in this time of hardship and need. Great comments, very inspiring. Joe, can I ask, have you closed a gift yet in your work in the advancement shop? I wish, not yet, but who knows? We're going to change that right now. Um, I'm just going to donate. Uh, Evertrue will commit $1,000 to the shop, and you can count that as your first gift, okay? Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I'm really going to cry. Thank you so much. We're going to leave it there, but I, I hope everybody enjoyed um, the episode. Thank you, Joe and Astrid and Peyton. Thank you, Brent. Thank you so much. Keep it up. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>